You are listening to an Elam Christian Center podcast. We hope that you are inspired, encouraged, and empowered by the message you are about to hear. Well, hey church, it is so good to see you today. And it is an incredibly special Sunday. This Sunday is graduation Sunday for our Elam Leadership College interns. And obviously it's looking a bit different this year, but I really can't overemphasize how important graduation is in an intern's journey. These guys have shown incredible bravery, perseverance, devotion to Jesus, but more than anything, growth. And I wanna take a moment to honour each and every graduation and turn. And actually, could you do me a favour and just in your homes, would you begin to clap your hands as we celebrate the Elam Leadership College graduating class of 2021. And as you make a noise, I'm going to pray. Father, we thank You for Your words. We thank You that it's living, it's active, it has the power to change us. And right now we take a moment to come under the authority of the Word of God. Lord, we submit our will, our ideas, and we pray in the Name of Jesus that You would transform us according to Your Word. In Jesus' Name, and everyone said, Amen. One of the amazing things I find about communication is its ability to say so much by only saying a little. You can communicate a lot of words by not saying a lot of words. Let me give you an illustration. I think everyone had that relationship with their mother when they were young, where just one word or just one look would communicate a bunch. Say for example, someone arrives unannounced over to your house and your mum says to you, We weren't expecting company, were you? And you know that what that sentence really means was get to the bathroom, pick your clothes up from the floor, wipe the mirror, and while you're at it, boil the jug. She has said a whole lot by only saying a little. Or perhaps you are in a robust discussion with someone who is giving an opinion that perhaps you don't agree with. And instead of openly confronting the discussion, because you don't have the time or the energy, you respond with one letter repeated. Mm. And both you and them know that that little sound means I don't really agree with you, but I'm acknowledging your point of view and I'm politely suggesting to us that we perhaps change the conversation. You can say a lot by only saying a little. See, in the past few weeks, we've been in a series based on Isaiah 9, 6, an incredible passage. This is what it says. It says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And today I'm gonna be looking at those two words, Everlasting Father. And what I wanna wanna suggest to you is that Everlasting Father, just two words, they are doing a lot of heavy lifting. They are saying a lot by only saying a little. And so today we're gonna look at what it means when we say that Jesus, who is this son to be born and child to be given, what does it mean to say that Jesus is Everlasting Father? Because straight off the bat, That's a pretty confusing verse. You see, saying that passage refers to Jesus obviously raises some questions. It says that Jesus' name will be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You might be sitting there thinking, Hayley, 
I've read my Bible and never once have I seen the disciples refer to Jesus as wonderful counsellor or mighty God as His name. How do we understand this as a name? Well, the first thing you need to understand is that names are not treated in the literal way that you and I would treat them in this text. See, in the ancient Near East, names reflected character. And so when you said that that person was called something, what you were saying is this is the content of their character. This is what they were like. And so equally, we could translate this verse that for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and he will be to us a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. The second confusing thing about this message today relates to that title, Everlasting Father. You might be saying, well, Haley, how can Jesus be Everlasting Father? That seems to mess a little bit with our Trinitarian theology. I thought that the Father was the Everlasting Father and that Jesus was the Son. How does this mix with our understanding that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How does it mix with our understanding that God is three in one? And to answer all those questions, what you need to understand is what is really being said when Jesus is being called Everlasting Father. And to understand that, you need to understand the context. Context is an incredibly important principle in biblical interpretation. See, when it comes to language, any language, there is a simple principle that we all adhere to, and it's this. Words give meaning to sentences, but equally, sentences give meaning to words. Let me illustrate what I mean. If I was to say, what does the word swing mean? You might say that swing means a range of motion. But if I was to use that word swing in the context of a story about a playground, you would know that swing actually means a playground apparatus that brings much enjoyment to children and adults everywhere. Likewise, if I was using that word swing in the context of a cricket game, you would know that it was the range of motion that the batsman makes with their bat. What's happening? The word is giving meaning to the sentence, but equally the sentence is giving meaning to the words. That's why. When you read the Bible, it's so important not to drop a couple of words out of context. Why? Because the sentence, the context will give meaning to the word. And so the question is, what is the literary context of the passage that everlasting Father finds itself in? Let's read it together. Isaiah 9, 6, uh, and then also verse 7. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And here's a key word, government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. Read on to verse 7. It says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and on over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I hope you're beginning to see what the emphasis of the passage is. Twice in that short passage is that word government. That government in the Hebrew also means rule or dominion. And interestingly, this is the only two places in the entirety of the Old Testament where this 
this particular word is used. But if you read on, you also see those words throne. You see that word kingdom. And what that's telling us is the context of this verse is about empires and emperors. It is about kings and kingdoms. And this correlates when we look at the historical context. See, the historical context of the passage it was, is what was happening in the civilization, what was happening in Israel when these verses were penned. And actually, this passage is incredible because it has what we'd call multiple applications. It has a contemporary application because it was written to Israel under King Ahaz, who was facing the threat of the Assyrian empire who they were concerned were going to overthrow them and who were exerting heavy uh, financial burdens on them. That's the contemporary application, but this passage also has a messianic application. And what that word messianic means is it's talking about the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. Come on, we know His name as Jesus. He was the Messiah. Equally, as this verse spoke to its contemporary context, it also spoke to the coming of Christ. Now, this is where it gets interesting because what was the historical context that Jesus walked into? He walked into the Jewish nation who had been overthrown by the Roman Empire. There was the continuing threat of violence hovering over the people and there was a financial burden in terms of heavy taxation. Friend, it's all about kings and kingdoms it's all about empires and emperors. This is what this passage is all about. You see, when you bring all those strands together, what you begin to realise is this passage is telling us about governance. It's telling us about rule or reign. And then if you do a word study on that word, Father, this is what you find. You find that Father can be translated as yes, Father, or grandfather, or forefather, or founder, or get this, ruler or chief. You see, when you put all those ingredients together, what you begin to discover is that when Jesus is called the everlasting Father, what the text is saying is that He will always be the perpetual, everlasting, unfading and unfailing ruler of His people. Friend, you gotta hear this today because this was written to places where kings and kingdoms and empires and emperors were threatened. And God was saying, to His people, you, there is a child to be born, a son to be given, who will never be thrown out of office, whose kingdom will never be overcome. Empires may rise and empires may fall, but Jesus cannot be voted out. He cannot be kicked out. There cannot be a coup staged for His reign. Why? Because He is the perpetual ruler of His people. That's what it means to say that He is the everlasting Father. Now, some of you are at home are going, well, Haley, if everlasting Father just means perpetual ruler, why didn't God just say that? Why didn't He just make it easy? Why did we have to go into all those different contexts to discover what that phrase everlasting Father mean? Perpetual ruler still sounds great. It still sounds grand. 
Friend, you need to understand that this is the magic, this is the beauty, this is the wonder of the Word of God. The Word of God is set up for such that the more that you meditate on it, the more that you delve into it, the more that you take time to think on it and marinate on it, the more truth and revelation and beauty it will reveal. That's the way the Word of God is set up. And it is of crucial importance that He didn't just call Himself perpetual ruler because the fact that He revealed Himself as an everlasting Father tells us about the quality or the content of His reign. This is about how He rules. You see, Jesus rules as perpetual ruler forever, but He rules as an everlasting Father. And so let's look at what that means. Firstly, it means that He is the Father of eternity. He is the Father of eternity. See that statement, everlasting Father in the Hebrew could be rendered in the Hebrew as the Father of eternity. See our perpetual ruler, our forever Father, He is the originator of eternity. All time, all matter, all space, get this, finds its beginning in Him. Revelation 21 says it like this, He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the the first and the last. I am the beginning and the end. Jesus is the one who spoke the world into motion. Hear me today. He holds all the beginnings and the ends. And friend, let me introduce you to a theological word today because this speaks of God's transcendence. When you hear of God's transcendence, what we're talking about is God's otherness. We're talking about how there is nothing like God in all created universe. He is the only eternal one, the only unfailing one. He is the only unchanging one. He is the only all-powerful one. He is the only self-existent one. And His transcendence speaks of the fact that over all creation and history, He is over it. Now, let me tell you, I don't mean that He's over it. I mean that He is over it. Time, He's over it. Creation, He's over it. Kings and kingdoms, He's over it. All human history, He's over it. Every principality and power, He's over it. Any force that is seen or unseen, friend, you best believe that He is over it. Why? Because He's the Father of eternity. He holds the beginnings and the ends. Now, every time we begin to talk about the fact that God is over human history, many times people get a bit worried or edgy. They begin to worry about the question of evil. They say things like, well, if God is over the world or over human history, how can evil exist? Does that make God the author of evil? Now listen, you only need to read the first few chapters of Genesis to see that it records the entrance of evil into human history. And that came the moment that Adam and Eve chose to take the apple. Sin and evil entered the world. Before that, the world was good and perfect. And so according to Genesis, we know that God is not the author of evil. But friend, I don't want you to get confused today. Just because He didn't author it doesn't mean that He isn't over it. Let me say to you today that our God has the unique ability to take that which was meant for evil and use that to defeat evil itself. 
Listen, I'm gonna tell you again, but in case you switched off in your watch party, our God has the unique ability, come on somebody, to take that which was meant for evil and use it to defeat evil. Now listen, I'm no martial arts expert and I never once engaged in the uh, sport of judo, but I've heard that the premise of judo goes something like this. You take the force of your opponent's attack and you turn it back in such a way that he is flattened by his own assault. Come on, somebody, this is what happened when Joseph's brothers left him in the ditch, but God turned the ditch to destiny and used that as the moment to begin the trajectory through which Joseph would eventually save Israel from salvation. What happened? God took something meant for evil and He used it to defeat evil. Friend, that's what happened with the Samaritan woman at the well. She had had a lifetime of tragedy and heartbreak. And yet when Jesus spoke of that which had happened to her and turned her situation around, it was the beginning of a bridge that was built between the Jewish and the Samaritan people to people who were always at odds. What happened? God took that which was meant for evil and used it to defeat evil. Friend, it happened in the life of the early church when the people of Jerusalem rose out and expelled the apostles from Jerusalem. God turned the expulsion into ascending and the gospel went to every part of the Roman Empire. What happened? God took that which was meant for evil and used it to defeat evil. Lest I remind you of the cross of Jesus Christ, an instrument of evil, of death, of destruction, an instrument of torture of which there was no greater in the ancient world. And yet God took that which was meant for evil and used it to defeat evil in its entirety. I need to remind you today about the God that you serve. Because friend, no matter how black the night is, no matter how much you feel oppressed by what is happening in your world, no matter how much you have railed at the condition of our world right now, friend, the cross of Christ speaks a better word. Our God has the unique ability to take that which was meant for evil and turn it around to defeat evil. Listen, He didn't author it but you better believe that He's over it. Why? Because He is the everlasting Father. He's the Father of eternity. Secondly today, Jesus is also our Father forever. And I need to apologise to anyone who likes a bit a little more symmetry in their points. I could have put that He was the Father of eternity and the Father of His people, but I just felt like our Father forever was a bit more satisfying because of the alliteration, so you're just gonna have to go with it. He is our Father forever. See, if that first point was about His transcendence, His otherness, this second point is about His imminence. And what His imminence means is that the Lord your God is always actively at work in His creation. See, if transcendence tells us that He is over it all, His imminence tells us that He is with us through it all. See, He is over it all as the Father of eternity and He is with you in it as our Father forever. 
See, friend, today, He is not just a perpetual ruler who is over the course of human history. He is a perpetual ruler whose attitude towards his, his subjects is not that he treats them as servants, but that as he sees him as his children. See, as your everlasting father, he protects you and provides for you in it while being over it to turn it around for your good. He shall be called everlasting father. I need you to know today, that he is the perpetual ruler who never stops protecting and providing for his people because that's what dads do. And in fact, today, he went so far to protect us as putting on our sin. He went so far to provide for us as pouring out his life as a sacrifice because I wanna remind you that's what dads do. They bear a cost to protect and provide for their kids. See, I've had the grace of being able to see this my whole life in my own dad. You know, he was a real estate agent, commission-only job with a young family, meant lots of weekends and lots of weeknights away. And the reality is I never got to see the sacrifice. I didn't get to see the stress or the strain, but I never failed to experience the provision that came on the other side of a sacrifice. Because that's what dads do. They bear a cost to protect and provide for their kids. In fact, I'll go so far to say, as dads fight battles that their kids don't even know about. So that's the fascinating thing about this passage. You know, the historical context that Jesus stepped into the Israelite people, they'd read all the Messianic prophecies and the conclusion that they had formed from them was that this Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one, was gonna be an all-conquering military king. That was what they thought. They thought that the Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna overthrow Rome. That was what he was gonna do. And they so believed that actually there were some Israelite sects who were actively in military training because they believed that if they trained themselves and rose up to overthrow Rome in a rebellion, that God would join their cause and defeat Rome. That was their picture of what the perpetual ruler, the Messiah would be. And then Jesus came, not just as perpetual ruler, not just as father of eternity, but as our father forever, who came to rule by protecting and providing for his kids. Because the reality is, the God that you and I opened our mouths to worship today, he is far more than a perpetual ruler, far more than a military hero, far more than a king who reigns on a throne, and far more than an emperor who is building an empire. He is an everlasting father who would go so far to protect us as putting on our sin, who would go so far to provide for us as pouring out his life as a sacrifice. Friend, because that's what dads do. They pay unseen costs to protect and provide for their kids. And friend, as I was preparing for this message, I really felt to remind you that God would say to you that he is still fighting battles 
that you do not know about. You see, so often we still ask that Jesus would be a ruler with a rod when instead he loves us like a father with a cross. And so if I was to bring all of this to a conclusion, if I was to say in a few sentences what it would mean to be that Jesus is an everlasting father, this is what I would say. I would say it means that his government will never be overthrown because he is everlasting father. He will never be thrown out of office because he is everlasting father. Hear me today. His purposes will never stop prevailing. He is everlasting father. He will never stop turning evil around for your good and His glory. Why? Because He is everlasting Father. Hear me today. He will never stop protecting you. He will never stop providing for you. He will never stop fighting unseen battles for you. Why? Because He is everlasting Father. His rule, His dominion, His governance will never fail or fade. He is everlasting Father and His kingdom will know no end because unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government forevermore will rest on His shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace and of the greatness of His governance and His peace. There will be no end. Friend, He shall be called Wonderful Counselor. I don't know how you came to tune in today. I don't know how you came to watch. I don't know if this is the first time you have heard of this Jesus or the hundredth, but believe me today, this Jesus, this everlasting Father is knocking on the door of your heart. The invitation is for eternity. At the cross, He dealt with sin and hell and the grave so that you could live the life that you were designed to live. And so today, the choice is yours. Will you say yes? Will you receive Him? If you do, pray this prayer with me. Say, dear Jesus, I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Saviour. Today, I give my life to You, holding nothing back. I turn from sin. I follow You. Thanks to You, I'm free. In Jesus' name, amen. And friend, if you prayed that prayer today, we'd love it if you could take a next step. Coming up on the church line online platform is a button that says, raise your hand. We'd love it if you could click that so we could connect with you. On Facebook, it says, count me in. Friend, this is the beginning of a wonderful journey. We love you. God bless you. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this Elam Christian Centre podcast. Please subscribe to keep hearing more life-changing messages. For more information about our church, please visit www.elamchristiancentre.org.nz.